over the last, what, three years now that uh, associates specifically, but also hygienists have not had to pay any student loans. So now all of a sudden, when you have a $5,000 student loan payment due at the end of the month, that's going to change the way that you, and you've gotten used to a lifestyle without it. Now the demand for the amount of guys take home is going to change. Welcome to another episode of Dental Rift. I'm your host, Gary Bird. I am the CEO of SMC National, where we provide new patient flow for dental offices just like yours. I'm Tatter Applegate, the CEO and founder of Unify. We are a SaaS product that is helping you centralize all of your different tools in one single platform to make your life easier for your team. Awesome. Well, today I got some really interesting stuff. Number one, I have some predictions for next year on the dental market. So I definitely want to talk about that because I think that's going to impact everybody in the dental industry. And we talked a little bit about it on the last episode, Tanner. But um, this is, uh, I had some data that uh, was presented to me by someone over the weekend and they talked about how far down dental is this year and uh, and then how big it's going to go down next year as well there's going to be a uh, quite quite the pullback especially from the new patient side of things so we'll definitely talk about that also see some um, major shifts in the labor market right now which that's going to play into things as well i think and then i had an interesting conversation recently with somebody about uh, coaching, and I want to I want to talk about uh, coaches and things like that. And I know we're going to be talking about that more on the next call. What What do you want to do? You want me to kick us off, or do you want to? Uh... Yeah, I I, I I I don't know. I mean, I'm a nerd. You know, I'm a nerd. I love kind of everything tech. Dental is just kind of where my passion is, but it's not the only place that I pay attention to. I can't go without talking about this whole FTX downfall mm, you want to talk about ftx yes okay i want to chat with you a little bit about that how much into the uh, crypto world are you i'm in i i have a lot of money in crypto but i don't have anything in ftx okay so just kind of i guess for the reader base uh quick i mean listener base i guess quick little uh update on what was happening last week there's some issues internally. There is a whistleblower that kind of came out and said, hey, there's some problems with the liquidity of this company. And so one thing led to another. Everybody kind of started selling off. And it was true that there was a liquidity issue. And so... Well, just, just for people in- who don't understand crypto. So people, you can own crypto without without having it on the exchange. And so these there's these companies, these third-party companies that hold it for you. And there's lots of them. And FTX was one of the biggest. And so what you do is, is you buy crypto through them and then you hold the crypto uh, in that account. Now, when you're holding your crypto in that account, they're supposed to have those funds available. So when you cash out, they can they can pay you out. It's almost like writing a check uh, for a bank, right? Like if I write a check out of my banking account, I should be able to pull that money right out of there. But if they don't have the money, then there's a problem. And that's what happened is everybody basically did a bank run on FTX and they didn't have any money. They and what they actually had was they created a second company uh, called Alameda Research, and they were they were taking customers' funds and moving it over to Alameda Research. And really, all that was was like a really aggressive hedge fund that was betting on all the all the craziest investments that you could bet in, and they were losing over and over and over losing. and over again. Yeah, and so they lost all their money at Alameda Research, and then that created the, the liquidity problem. And they basically just created a big Ponzi scheme eventually, and uh, it all came crumbling down. Totally. And it was interesting, too, because of 
the if you go in and look at the list of people that were invested in this, I was blown away by some of these big names like Blackstone, SoftBank, Sequoia, Tom Brady, right? You got these celebrities. And so it was just, it was super intriguing to me to kind of see all of this occurring and to think, hey, these giant companies are like invincible. There's no way that they can come down. And so all of a sudden now this second biggest crypto exchange is now down to zero. Yeah. Right. What were your thoughts on this as this was all occurring? Gary? I think it's I think it's great for the crypto market because just like the doc is the same thing happened in the dot com boom where everybody and their mom was creating, you know, dot com. Some were valuable, some weren't. A lot of them went under. And that was really good for the dot com boom because it allowed the real players to actually come to the fore- forefront. And uh, it also creates when people lose money like this, it creates regulation. And and I'm not a huge like federal government should be involved in everything, but I definitely think that there's some form of regulation needs to be in crypto. And uh, so people that scam people like this go to jail. Yeah, I think that the problem that I had with all of this, though, is that crypto is more than just like this exchange of money, right? Like a lot of people think of it as like Bitcoin or Ethereum or these other coins where it's just money. But the reality is, it's like there's a lot of technology behind it that has the potential to change a lot of different industries or different ways that we do things. But it's only if there's kind of mass acceptance. And so when these big players like this put a negative image on it, to me, it's frustrating because then it pushes down this general feeling or acceptance of like, okay, this has some legit legitimacy to it. And therefore it kind of pushes down the, the ability to be able to actually make that progress or make that um, change in this institutional ability, like using this technology to actually create new innovations and such. And so now with this, with this public not accepting it because of this huge PR issue for this company, um, I think that we're going to get pushed back another five to 10 years to be able to use this technology the way that it could or should be done. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It is going to slow it down. Um, I'm definitely buying more Bitcoin though. So, Yeah, buying the dip. Do you <laughs> think it, do, we're at 15 right now? Where do you think that it will go? It could go down to 12, like, nine, so? 12. It could go down to nine or 12 still. There's still, there's more support down there. It could, it could still go down. I don't look at it that way. I know long term it's going to, it's eventually going to hit. In, in the next couple of years, it'll hit 100,000. So not you, uh, financial like advice. Cost, cost averaging? Dog? Yeah, I'm just, I just buy. I just keep buying. It automatically comes out of my check, just like a retirement fund or something like that. Yeah. Yeah, I think it'll eventually, it'll eventually uh, do well. But we shall see. It, 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 it did the last, this is not the first time that this crashed like this. But um, okay, so how does that impact the dental industry? Do you, do you think that has any carryover to the dental industry? Uh, I think it does in general when you see these because the uneducated people that aren't going to understand this whole crypto exchange situation, what they see and what they understand is a multi-billion dollar company has gone under, right? So that's going to naturally create fear. And I think that what it will do in the rest of the industry is that it's going to create this fear of like, I need to hold on to my money and increase my savings. And therefore, there'll be less spend and less involvement and dental it's just one of those where like, hey, if all, as long as I'm not in pain and I don't need a root canal, yep. I'm going to hold off on those braces or I'm going to hold off on those 100%. additional kind of cosmetic things. Yeah, no, totally agree. That always happens during a recession, especially on the specialty side, really takes a heavy hit on that front. Um, so that kind of leads into the next one is, um, so 
the dental industry was down between like they're predicting between 12 and 15%. And this is kind of you, you kind of called this last time that you saw that with that particular company that does products. Uh, they sell gloves and stuff like that. Um, and that they were down. How, how do you remember how much they were down? Yeah, they were down about 15%. There it is. Okay. So you called it last week. So I was looking at some numbers. Um, I was actually meeting with a mall and a mall had some numbers from the ADA and what he was looking at was 15% dip uh, last this year, 2022. And then next year, we're going to be looking at it like I think it was 23, 24%, somewhere in that ballpark. And one of the biggest problems that dental offices are facing right now, or the biggest problem, is patient flow around last minute cancellations. Mm-hmm. So people who are just calling within 24 hours of their appointment and being like, I'm not coming. And and the reason that's such a big problem is because there's not a lot of ways that you can fix that, right? Like you just kind of lose that time if someone cancels right before their appointment or the night before their appointment. And so what this is going to do, this is going to cause... So a couple of things. So as the economy begins to slow down, I think that dental offices are naturally going to pull back on their bu- marketing budgets because that's just what people do during a recession is that it's an easy thing to cut which is awesome because I mean, it's bad for my company, but it's awesome overall because that creates more marketing opportunity for the people who are spending money and allows for those who really want to grow to grow faster. And so what, what I'm, what I'm doing at SMC and what I'm, I'm people who are smart business people, what they're doing is they're doubling down on their marketing. So we're doubling down on all our outreach, all our events, all everything we're, we're doubling, doubling down, doubling everything and really going to hit it hard next year. And the dental offices that do that are going to have a windfall of new patient opportunities. And while a lot of the competition is going to be shrinking by a quarter after shrinking 15% this last year, um, there's going to be some that grow. And we saw the same thing during COVID. Remember after COVID, there was the, the 10% of practices that really increased and grew. And then there was everybody else who shrunk. And so I, I, we're going to see the have and the have nots uh, continue to grow, I think. Yeah, it's interesting. This one, just like with any other kind of recession, right, it, it becomes a mindset game of do you double down when it's at the dip or do you let fear overtake and give into the fear and say, hey, you know what? Everyone else is holding. I'm going to hold too. Yep. Yeah, it's fun. This is this is makes what biz- makes business interesting. Now, the other thing that I think is going to happen this is this is my prediction. Um, so I think the labor market is like totally shifting. Have you kind of seen that yourself? Yeah. Um, I have seen it. It definitely obviously becoming a lot more of an employer market now because if demand goes down, the demand for team members goes down for sure. Yeah. So have you, I, I've talked to a couple of DSOs and they said that they're getting more applicants. Yeah. And I haven't experienced that yet myself, like with the the people that I communicate with and talk to that, because I think that there's still this demand where like people are going remote. Like, for example, I hear a lot of like RCM stuff, like people are going remote with RCM. And so the demand for good RCM experience, RCM team members is still high. Mm, yeah. Right? So that yeah that's, and that's super challenge. niche. I'm, I'm talking more right. like just like before it was just like, I can't even hire an upfront desk person. Right. And now now that, that door is starting to open. I think hygienists will probably be last to the party, right? But the other thing that will happen, Tanner, is people during a recession... You're, so before, what was happening before? It was like, oh, I'll job hop a couple of times because I'll get a 15% pay bump every time I job hop. So I'll spend six months there, 
hop over here, six months there, hop over here. And then that's great when it's a hot market for the employees. But when it goes to a cold market, you're not able to do that because <laughs> you you might right. get it's it's musical chairs. You might get caught without a chair. And so people, the fear kind of kicks in for the employees, but they have a much bigger risk. Um, they have a less risk tolerance, I guess I would how I, is how I'd put it than a business. So they're like, hey, I'm going to stay. And so that solidifies retention. And then also the people, I my prediction is, is people are going to go back to what they know the best. So if I've been a hygienist for 10 years, and then all of a sudden I went out and started to try to start my own company or be a consultant or market or whatever, I'm more than likely not going to stay with that. I'm going to, especially if I get decimated as the economy starts to slow down, I'm going to go back to what I was used to. So I, I think you'll see some of these people start to really um, come back to the market. The other thing that you'll see, and this has just popped in my head right now, you'll see more and more people, you're already seeing it at the bigger tech companies saying, nah, no more remote jobs. You come into the office. And if you don't show up, then we'll take that as your resignation. And so you'll see more of that as well, which will drive more people back to dental again. Because why did people leave dental? Because they wanted remote jobs. And so you're going to see, I think you're going to see more people going back into dental from all this uh, recession and this employment uh, the shift uh, that we're seeing. Well, here's another interesting factor that'll play into this employment shift is this idea that over the last, what, three years now that uh, associates specifically, but also hygienists have not had to pay any student loans. So now all of a sudden, when you have a $5,000 student loan payment due at the end of the month, that's going to change the way that you, and you've gotten used to a lifestyle without it. Now the demand for the amount of Yikes. take home is going to change. Yeah, that's that's big. I didn't even think about that. So yeah, so you got a lot of things hitting all at once. It's gonna, I think that's gonna help dental offices overall. Now, what this is gonna do though, again, this is going back to my original thesis. This is actually going to make 2023 the year of the dental marketer. You haven't really needed since COVID like right after COVID, uh, you didn't need dental marketing. Like y- y- some people did, but you did, it wasn't like a, a must have. When I talk to people, they're like, yeah, I want to take care of, figure out my dental marketing, but I really got to figure out this employment thing. Cause if I don't have a hygienist, if I don't have a doctor, then I don't need marketing. And if I, and then I got to figure out my tech side of things, you know, my, what's my tech stack going to be so I can actually manage all these people and manage all these processes. Now what's going to happen is, is you're going to have a, a dip plus you're going to have a full staff. I think a lot of people will be fully staffed the way they want to be finally. And when you have that and you have that dip hit, now it's like, okay, marketer, turn on the fa- faucet. And if the marketer can't, then they're going to, people are going to be quickly moving on to the next company or next person. And, and I already, I already see that. Like I already see dental marketing managers that I've talked to, man, they get laid off so fast if they can't turn on that faucet. And I think that pressure is just going to come faster and harder here soon. Here's another interesting thing, too, is that you said that this is all going to stem from this idea that there's increased cancellations of no-shows for patients, right? What When I hear that, what that means to me is larger offices are actually going to favor better. Yeah, because they're open more often. If you schedule right. If you, well, they're open more often, too. But if you have one hygienist and one spot for that hygienist and that patient no-shows, there's nowhere else you can pull. You can't do a second column of overflow to easily fill it. But if you have three hygienists... And all of a sudden now you've got this, what, 25% no-show rate, yeah. right? You can overbook that fourth column. 
Yeah. And we, I loved doing that in, in the DSOs that I was in. It was just like making sure that we had this extra capacity to be able to say, hey, if this happens, now all of a sudden we have the freedom and flexibility to throw in this fourth column, even though we don't only have three providers. Yeah, and then and then again, these bigger the bigger practices are going to be more apt to market, right? Because they just can't right. deal. They can't deal with it. it. It's much easier to deal with a twenty four percent dip if you're at you know a seven hundred thousand dollar office than if you are a five or six million dollar office. You can't. You'll go out of business like just overnight. So. Um, not saying that anybody likes that big of a dip, but it is it is not an option uh, when you're at that size. So you have to then go and invest more into marketing. So the marketing spend for everybody is going to be going up. I, I, I that's that's a must. And then at the same time, here's the cool thing about that: other people are going to be cutting their marketing budget, so it's just going to be creating more opportunity for those that are spending. Hmm. I, one of the things that I wanted to chat with you a little bit about today is similar to this, which is the yearly or the annual cycles right like first quarter was it happens middle of the year what happens etc towards the end of the year from your perspective is it existing patients that come back for the end of year rush before their insurance logs out or is there a bunch of new patients or is it both no so you you get a ton of existing patients but that's that creates a problem though tanner so what a lot of people actually just was at a conference and they were talking about this so what what happens is is that you're at the end of the year, you're trying to hit your numbers, and then you have all these existing patients coming in and just wanting to get their teeth cleaned, and then now you can't get the volume of new patients in that you wanted to get in, so you could actually do treatment, and that's a problem. Um, it, it becomes a big problem, and there's no most practices don't have any kind of levers to control that. It's kind of just whoever whoever calls and schedules gets the spot. Well, it's interesting though that you say that because in my from my experience with insurance, it's like you can't. It's almost like six months away from each other that they have to be. So if you did it in August, you can't come in in December yeah. to get that second one, right? You have to wait till January, February. And so to me, it seems like the end of your rush is never really about hygiene. It's more about the benefits, the benefits, and making sure that you're maximizing those because those do reset in January. Right. Yeah, so I can no, totally I, understand it. You're going to, you're always going to get a rush at the end of the year uh, for, for hygiene. Um, but again, it's, it's when it's not, it's not like you're getting like 12 months of hygiene in a month. That's not the problem. The problem is, is that you have very limited, right? Especially right now, you have very limited capacity in hygiene. Right. And so if you even get like a 15% increase on, in de- just in December, just in three weeks before Christmas in December, that that decimates your new patient numbers availability you still might get those new patients in but then it's it's just hurting you right like it's really setting you back and again like there's no mechanism to control that inside of a dental office most people they don't have any way to tell the patients sorry no you're not going to be coming in for that and you're going to miss the hygiene appointment or cuz it would even be better if we just said hey existing patient we'll we'll comp you a <laughs> the cleaning you know what i mean and put it out here and and keep that rolling but um yeah i I, and but on the other side too as well how how do you see that being a problem if people are coming in to get their uh take advantage of their benefits right before the end of the year i don't see that being a problem that's what i was wondering is that to me the new patients like i I get from your world marketing like new patients are the gold standard of patient but the reality too is that when we 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 personally measured this we saw that our as long as our existing patients were consistent, the, 
value of that existing patient was similar to the value of a new patient, but the obviously cheaper to come in, the yeah. annual value, not lifetime value, but annual value. Yeah, correct. Right. And so for us, like it didn't really matter if we filled up our schedule with new or existing patients just because of the fact that they had a very similar value for us. I mean, there are but, ways you can clinically go in and do some training and stuff to be able to optimize for a higher new patient. But you're looking value. at the whole year. So so my point is so new patients always do more treatment up front than existing patients on, on from the visit. When I say up front, at the, at the initial visit. So if I've been coming to the dentist for three years and I'm coming to all my hygiene appointments, everything's good, and I'm trying to squeeze in my, my cleaning, there's more than likely I'm not going to, there's not going to be any treatment behind that. And whether I get that cleaning done in December or February, really overall doesn't make a huge difference, right, to me. Um, where... I think that's that's where I said the, the clinical training behind it matters because I think our new patients, we'd come in, we'd get the work. And, and this is unmeasured. Like I didn't go in, yeah, I wasn't yeah. a clinician, I wasn't working with them, right? But I, our, based off of the value of these appointments, our new patients would come in, get work diagnosed, and then get scheduled out to come back and do it, right? So that initial visit, like, yes, I've heard of same day conversions and people doing that, but we never clinically had the workflow to teach and train and make sure and enforce that these things were actually happening. So it was like new patients came in, they got treatment planned and then they got scheduled out where it was like, okay, does it really then matter if it's an existing patient in the chair right there or a new patient? Mm. Yeah, that makes sense. And, and that was just because that was, again, another clinical workflow that we didn't have optimized that I think that DSO should be working on and definitely have figured out because I do think that like our, our average value was like a thousand dollars and I've heard new patients' average value can be upwards of like $2,000 if you have that workflow done right. That's a big difference. It's really cool. Any any other topics you got? Uh, no, those were the main ones I had. Okay, I got one more for you. So I had somebody reach out to me. They offered me a coaching spot at their organization. They were like, hey, you can come in and coach on marketing, which I'm I love to do. And I'll do it for free. And I'll do it for as a, a value add for anybody's customers. And... Um, it, I don't sell, right? Like, I'm like, I won't sell anything. I'm just going to tell them if they ask me, Hey, do you, can you help us with this? Then obviously I'll pitch our company. So, and I can help move the needle for people. I can help people save years of time of trial and error in just a, a 30 minute conversation. So I, I try to bring as much value as, as possible to people that way. So I was offered this position. I agreed to it. I had it on the schedule. And then right before, like literally the day before that we had it all set up, we're going to do a clearing call, blah, 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 blah. I get a call and they're like, hey, so you're going to sponsor our stuff, right? And I was like, well, I don't know. That's a separate conversation. I've, I have in the past, but I, I, don't, I don't know. We're, we're looking at next year, blah, 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 blah. And, and then, but it's like, well, that's contingent on this. Hmm. But it wasn't contingent at the initial conversation because they were, I think, I think, and I might be wrong on this, I think they were assuming that I was going to sponsor. So, right. So then I'm like, this goes back to our conversation that we had before where it's like, okay, so do we have people out here that are giving coaching spots for sponsors? Because that's, that's not a good, a good look. No, I totally, unfortunately, think the money follows right? Where value follows money and everyone has their business and they have to be able to provide business. And so ultimately, yeah, I think that that is happening. Not that it should be happening. It should be just what is the best content? What's the most beneficial for our audience? 
but instead it becomes what's also the most beneficial for us as a company instead of thinking about the audience first. Yeah. And that's what, that's where people end up not getting great value. I, I think they don't get the best value because you're, you have to put the economics first. And I, I'm not to say I run a business. So I just think that those lines get blurred a lot of times. Yeah. It's hard because there's the whole measurement of like good, better, and best. But the reality is, is like, if you're only getting good and all you know is good, you don't know better and best anyway. So good is exciting to you. Mm. Right. And so I think that's what happens with these sponsors is these sponsors provided at least a good value. Like there should be or could be better and best options out there. But because they're providing good, nobody else knows that better and best exists. And so they stick with the good. I think that honestly is very detrimental. Yeah. Yep. Totally agree. Okay. Cool. I just wanted your thoughts on it. Yeah. Just put it all out. Okay, man. (laughs) All right, man. You have a good one. All right. Talk to you soon. Bye.